You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. So I, I kicked off a series last week that I'm really excited about. Uh, the series title is called Dear Church, and uh, we're looking at the seven letters that were written by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. And uh, I mentioned last week that, um, that these were actual churches that, uh, that John was writing to, and it helped us to understand that it's, it's a very practical, practical book. Uh, he wrote to the church of Ephesus, and we, we, we dealt with that letter last week. Remember, uh, he talked about all the good things they were doing, the, the good works, uh, that they were persevering, that they, were, they, they, they said, we're going to keep on going, we're going to keep walking this walk, we're going to keep fighting this fight. Uh, they, did not, they did not have anything to do with teaching that was, uh, that was uh, against the gospel, that contradicted the gospel, and they, they, they didn't join into to sin that, that would, that would uh, take him to a place that wasn't Christ-like. But then he said, you know, you're doing all these things right, but there's one thing that you're lacking, which is the most important thing. And he said, you need to come back to that love that you had at first, that love that you had for, for, for God, for me, and that love that you should have for each other. And we talked about that and how important that was. Um, we're going to continue uh, this week and look at, at, as he writes to the the church in Smyrna. And as we go there, I want us to remember some very important things. The first of all is the, the book of Revelation is a revealing or an unveiling. Uh, it actually means to uncover. <clears throat> Something that was covered, God uncovered so that the church could see it clearly. And there's a lot of symbolism, there's a lot of imagery in, in the book of Revelation. Uh, remember, Revelation, not Revelations. It's, it's singular, not plural. And it was not written to confuse, but instead to encourage and to be a blessing to the recipients and every follower of Jesus up to these modern times. Uh, but I mentioned this, and you probably have maybe um, seen this in your life, that the book of Revelation sometimes is controversial, and it divides churches, especially the millennial, the, the, the thousand-year period. And a lot of people, uh, great scholars, have differing opinions on, on what the, the millennium is, you know, what that thousand years is, whether you're a preterist and you believe that that, that happened in the, in the first century church, or you're a futurist and you believe, like a dispensationalist, and you believe that that's going to happen way in the future. And so people argue about that, but I really believe that God doesn't want us to major on the things that are minor. He wants us to major on the things that are major. And the things that are major is that God is faithful. The things that are major is that he's always going to be there for his church. No matter what, what you're going through, you know, there are, there are Christians in, in the Middle East right now that are being beheaded even as we speak. They're being persecuted. They're going through immense persecution. There's, there's, there's uh, uh, ISIS. ISIS says that, that uh, Christianity and Christians is their number one enemy. Christians don't ever say that anyone's their enemy. They, they say we're, we're, we're trying to reveal Christ to people. We have an enemy. We're going to talk about him today. 
but the enemy works in people, amen? And so we're, we're going to see how, how um, there's uh, a, a lot of things that, that we get caught up in that I don't think the Lord wants us to, to, to get caught up in. And another thing that is vitally important is that this church was not written to divide Christians, but to unite us. And this is what should unite us, that Jesus is coming back. And that no one knows the day nor the hour. Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 24. He says, no one knows when the Son of Man will come. Not even the angels, not even the Son. And then, he, and then Paul said it in his letters to, uh, to the churches. And so I'll tell you right now, if anyone ever predicts that Jesus will come back, you need to run from that person. Because that's not anything from God. God tells us very clearly Right? If I say that, you need to run. And I'll, I'll ne- I never will. Because that's what Jesus, the, the promise that he gave us is that he will come back, but we don't know when. But we should be busy, busy doing uh, the Lord's business. I did talk about some attitudes that every follower of Christ should have. And I, I said there's seven of them that, that, that I see that we should have. They're very biblical uh, last week we talked about we should be eagerly waiting. We should be waiting for the coming of the Lord. We should be going to, uh, waking up in the morning saying, Jesus, I, I want for you to come into, into, uh, to see you face to face. I want for you to come. Uh, going to bed, we should be eagerly waiting. And uh, the second attitude that we should have is that we should love his appearing. We should love his appearing. Paul wrote this to Timothy. He said, at the end of his life, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. That's very important. I persevered. I kept on going, even with all the opposition that I've had. And then he said, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. Now look at what he says. On that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I think about it like this. All my adult children are scattered, Some, uh, two of them across Arizona, one in Gilbert, Arizona, one in Phoenix, I mean, one in uh, uh, Safford. My daughter is in Las Cruces, New Mexico, so they're scattered, and, I, and I'll tell you that I eagerly wait, especially for my grandkids, to come and see their grandpa. I eagerly wait. That's something that I'm always excited about. But I love, 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 love seeing them face to face. I can't wait for their appearing. And as believers of Jesus, we need to know that we are going to see our Savior face to face. Notice what Paul says. On that day, there's a specific day. The day is the day of the great trumpet sound when the dead will rise first and those who are alive are going to be caught up in the air with them and we will be with the Lord forever. That's what I'm sure about. That's what the New Testament teaches over and over and over and over and over again that there's a resurrection where we will come up. Those those that are dead are going to be raised up in bodily form with a glorified body. We will be changed in a, in a twinkling of an eye, and those who are alive are going to follow behind, and we're going to be with the Lord forever. 
Now, the, 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 the intermediate state between death and, and, and the resurrection, there's a lot of debate in that. That right there is vague, but what, can I tell, what, what I can tell you for sure is that there is a resurrection. And on that day, we're going to love his appearing. And we're going to be with him forever. So last week, last week we learned that the, the, the first letter from God was to the church in Ephesus. And this church had a lot of good things going on. Kind of review again. And God commended them for their hard, hard work, their perseverance, their hate for evil, their discernment for teaching that he, uh, that did not align itself with the gospel. I mentioned that, but I want to say it again. And, but he rebuked them for the thing that matters most. And but, beloved, if, if we learn anything, if we learn anything in this series, the thing that matters most to God is love for him and love for other believers. And when we love him, we love him with that love that he's given to us. We reciprocate that love because our love falls short. God is love. And when you find Jesus, when you, when, when you receive Christ, his love begins to permeate your life, permeate your heart. And that love begins to flow back to God, but also to others around you. You cannot say you love God if you don't love other people. First John tells us that. His love will always lead us to love others. And so then we come, to, we come to the church in Smyrna. And it's not Smyrnoff. That's, a, that's on Tuesday nights. We have the Smyrnoff meeting. This, the, the church in Smyrna was, was a very beautiful, beautiful uh, city. Okay? It was very important. It was this, the second most important city in Asia, second to Ephesus. And what's very important, and you're going to see this in the context, is 700 years before the writing of this letter, the city of Smyrna was destroyed and it laid in ruins. It had completely been killed and destroyed. It was a dead city. And after, the, 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 after three centuries of it being destroyed, uh, Alexander the Great came and rebuilt this city and gave it a new birth. Brought the, the Greek influence into that city. So, so this city understood what it was to be dead and one that needed a resurrection. And you're going to see as, as, as God writes through, uh, speaking through Jesus to the angel and giving this letter to John, uh, and, and giving this verbiage to John, and John writes it down to the city of Smyrna, it makes so much sense. Because they understood what it meant to be a dead city. They understood what it meant to need resurrection. And there are churches that need to hear this because there are churches that are dying. And they need to know that we serve a God who resurrects the dead. He'll resurrect a dead individual. He'll resurrect a dead family. He'll resurrect a dead community. He'll resurrect a dead church. He'll resurrect a dead country if we allow him. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He's a God that can do what no person can do. No politician can do it. And there's some politicians that say they're all right, but they're not God. And I'm very strong about, you need to know that I'm very strong about voting, and, and, and I'm very, I love being an American, 
But I love being a follower of Christ more than anything else. And so as we get to this letter, I I, I want us to, to understand that context right there. Let me pray, and we'll go, we'll go ahead and read the, 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 the letter to Smyrna. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for every person here. What a, what a wonderful group. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you've given me a message. It's not my message. It's your message. Your message is true always. And, and I pray as your, that as your messenger that I can speak in a way that honors you. I can speak in a way that will bring you glory. I can speak in a way, Lord, that that is, is understandable and uh, very practical and clear to the listener, and that every person here, as they open up their, their ears to hear what the Spirit has to say, and as they open up their heart to receive what, what you are speaking to them by your Spirit, that we will just uh, not just hear it, but we'll live it. We'll, we'll, we'll put it into practice, Lord, that we'll, that we'll begin to move forward in it. And we pray this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen, amen. and amen. He said, so, and to the angel or the messenger, it, I, I said that last week, the angel could be the messenger, could be the pastor, could be the leader of that church, or it could be a, a spiritual angel that oversees that, 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 that area. Uh, there's a lot of argument on that. Uh, I don't think that we need to major on, on that part right there. But, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, write this. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. You see, why, why is that so important? Because they understood a, the death of a city. The first and the last who died and came to life. He, then he says, I know your tribulation. And your poverty, but you are rich. I love that. I know that you're going through all kinds of troubles, all kinds of trials, and I know that, that you're poor. And then, and then God says, but you're rich. Someone needs to hear that today. You think you're poor, but if you have Jesus, you're rich. And, and he said, and I, and I know the slander, the slander or the blaspheme, uh, blaspheme that people are giving uh, of those who say that they are Jews and are not. Judaizers, they were called, those that were followers of Jesus that came out of the Jewish faith. He says, actually, they are of the synagogue of Satan. He said, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Man, that, that just, we just pause right there because what, what, what the Bible narrative is telling us is that they're going through some horrible tri- tribulation trials. Uh, they're being slandered being talked about, they're, they're, they're being, you know, talked about in a very malicious way. And he says, and, and these people that say that they're religious, and I want you to think about this, because in church sometimes there's religious people, but they really don't serve the purposes of God. And, and if you're new here, you need to understand this, that the church is filled with imperfect people. But there's a perfect Savior who will never fail you. And, and the church is, is trying, and we should be submitting ourselves to the purposes of God. But we're all working our our salvation with fear and trembling. We're all walking and trying to navigate through life, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us. We fall short, but God will never fall short. And he sees your suffering. He sees the trouble that you're going through. He sees the difficulty. And he says, there's religious people that call themselves religious. They call themselves people of God, but they're actually from, from Satan's crowd. 
They're from the, the synagogue of Satan. And he, he goes on in verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Well, that, that helps me to know that sometimes the enemy comes and he tries to, not only tries, but he's allowed to bring harm to Christians. But God says, I give him a time period. I give him a time period. And if you've ever been through some suffering in your life, don't you thank God for his mercy that it ends? That there's a time period that, that you go through. He said, for 10 days, you will, you will have tribulation, but be but be." Faithful unto death. Even if they kill you, be faithful unto death. When have you heard that preached in a church lately? Be faithful even if they kill you. I'll empty out the seats right now. That's what they preach in the Middle East. That's what they preach in Indonesia. That's what they preach where there's immense persecution. But in the American church, we don't preach that because we want to preach, hey, this is what God can do for you. This is, God is going to bless you. He's going to prosper you. Oh, we love that. Yes, yes. I went to church. It was wonderful. You're going to go home today. You're going to say, well, I went to church. Guess what I heard? I'm, even if I suffer unto death, are you going, why would you go to that church? That's exactly what he's saying. He said, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Think about what Paul said. I fought the good fight. I ran the race. But there is waiting for me a crown that the glorious Lord will give to me on that day, the day of his appearing. Jesus, again, he confirms this right here in Revelation. He says, I will give, I will give you a, uh, the crown of life, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember this, beloved. I said to you, some of you listen to everything with physical, natural ears. You never open up the spiritual ears that God, by the Holy Spirit, gives you the ability to discern his voice in your life. And if you don't discern the Lord's voice in your life, all you're going to hear is the natural fleshly listening that keeps us away from the big things that God has for all of us. God has big things for all of us, but you can't hear them with a natural, natural hearing. You won't hear it with fleshly. You won't receive it with a fleshly heart. You'll receive it with a spiritual heart. When someone tells you, I want you to be faithful even unto death, if you hear in the natural, you're going to say, I, I don't want none of that. But if you hear it in the spirit, you say, Lord, because you were faithful to me, you continue to be faithful because you gave me life. No matter what happens, I'm going to serve you. No matter what I go through, I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill the purposes that you have for me. And then he says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Amen. There's the first death, but there's a second death. And if you're born again, you will never taste that second death. You may die once, but you'll be raised to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're never going to be separated from God. Never, 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 never. But you will have a resurrected body. Always, 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 always. And that day, and I can't wait for mine. I know that the Lord's going to set me up. I just know it. 
I know it. All of this, you know, I'll never have to do keto again. I'll never have, never have to do all the, all the carbs you want in heaven. Thank you. All the tortillas. Are you kidding me? All the tortillas you want? I hate that keto. It's great for you, but I hate it. So, so the, remember last week I talked about the church was commended for this. Uh, Ephesus was commended, and then they were rebuked for, for this. But I don't see a rebuke in this letter. But I see that the church in Smyrna was commended for, the first thing is their trust, their trust in Jesus in spite of their trials. Their trust in spite of their trials. And two words stand out. And they should echo through our hearts and our minds. And here are the two words, I know. When God says, I know. When Jesus says, I know. God knows every difficulty we go through. Where are you, God? Why, why are you letting me go through this? God knows. Tell your neighbor, God knows. God knows. Some of you aren't, aren't listening. God knows. Look at your neighbor right there. Look at JD, and he needs to know that, Chris. If anyone needs to know it, it's JD. God knows. He, he knew about the church in Smyrna. He said, I know your tribulation. The, the message paraphrase puts it like this. I can see your pain. Not only does he know, but he can see what you're going through. He can see. He sees, he sees every laugh. He sees every yawn. He sees every blink. He sees everything about us. Everything. I know. And what I love about Jesus, what I love about him is that he will never lie to us. And can I tell you something? I think a lot of pastors lie to their people. And this is how they lie. When they tell you that life is always going to be good. When we tell you that when you serve Jesus that all your problems go away. That you're going to be prosperous. That, you're, that everything's going to go right. Jesus never said that. In fact, Jesus said this in John 13, uh, 16. He said, in this world, or in the world, you will have tri tribulation. You will have trials, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And if you're a believer in Christ, what you need to know is that because Jesus overcame the world, you will be able to overcome whatever you face. And not only does he know not only does God know, he cares. He cares about every detail. He knows the ins and the outs. And he's working through every detail for the good of those who love him. He's working in every detail. I want you to think about this in your life, no matter what you're going through. I don't, if you're facing some marital situations, if you're facing a financial situation, if you're facing some job situations, God is working in the details to make you more like Christ. To lead you to trust. To lead you to, to seek his face. For you to have communion with the Father. For you to understand his presence. For you to know that, that God is real in your life. That it's more than a church service. It's more than Sunday morning. 
or every other Sunday, or once a month, or once a year. It's more than that. It's an everyday, every minute relationship that you have with the creator of the universe. And this world is not our home. You know what, 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 what tribulation teaches me? This is not my home. There's a better place. And that better place, Jesus is preparing for those who love him. The second thing that he commends them on is this. Their courage in suffering for Christ. The marriage paraphrase puts that, uh, that verse like this. Fear nothing in the things you're about to suffer, but stay on guard. And then he says again, fear nothing. The devil is about to throw you in jail for a time of testing, 10 days. It won't last forever. And you know what I've come to find out is when the devil starts messing with you, you know that God has big things in your life. When the devil begins to, when he puts a, 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 a X on your, on your life, you know that God has a big plan for your life. As long as you're in the devil's camp, he, he knows you're his. But you start taking a step toward God, start taking a step toward Jesus. You start saying, Lord, I'm going op- to open up my life to you. I want to start really pressing on, pressing forward. Things start happening. When, when the apostles were imprisoned, very early in the, in, the, in the life of the church, they were beaten, and, and uh, Luke puts it like this in Acts 5, verse 41. It says that the, the apostles, they left the, the high council, they left the Sanhedrin, and they left rejoicing that God had counted them worthy for them to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. How, how many of us in here have, have, have counted it a blessing that we have suffered disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. How many of us do we, when we, when we have suffering come into our lives, do we embrace it and we say like, like, like Job, like Job said, you know, and his wife tells him as he's going through all these things, all his kids died, all his, all his possessions were taken away from him. He was filled with boils, filled his body and he scraped himself with a stick. And his wife said, what are you doing? You need to just, are you, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And how many of us have had people come around and say, are you still holding on to this church thing? Are you still holding on to this you know, Christ, Christian thing that you're doing? And look at what you're going through. What God? And Job looks at his wife and he says, shall I, shall I serve God and shall I worship him when things are going well? And, and, and when things go bad, shall I curse him? May it never be. I will bless God in the good and I will bless God in the bad. I'm paraphrasing here, but can I tell you something? How many of us, when good is coming into our life, we say, wow, God, you're amazing. And when bad comes, we're like, God, you're, you're, I, I don't even believe there's a God. Why would this happen? The more you walk with God, 
The, the, the more I'm saying, when you walk with Jesus, when you're in the trenches, the easier it is to answer the, the question that it's worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Life is a test. You know, we think we're done with high school. It's over. There's no more testing. Woo-hoo-hoo. You go to college. Woo-hoo. I'm almost done. I get done with college. My, you know, Pastor Mike, you guys don't know this. He's at Grand Canyon uh, University, and he's working on his BA in, in theology, and, and he is on the president's list. So everybody, big hand. He's a president. He, he, I don't even know what that means, but he's there. So, so life is a test. You know, we, we, there's one test after another. Uh, Michael Wilcox, in his, in his book on, on the message of Revelation, he says, it's the devil's action, but God's intention. Right? It, it's the devil's action. We see that spelled out in the Bible. The devil's about to, he's about to make you suffer. And it's a test. Daniel, how many of you remember Daniel in the Old Testament? Daniel, uh, he suffered in the lion's den. How many of you would love to just to be put in a den with lions and just say, well, yeah, yeah, can't wait. What are you doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm going out to, to the market. What are you doing? I'm going to hang out with my family. What are you doing, Daniel? I'm going to go to den, uh, lion's den. <laughs> right? He suffered there. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they suffered in the fiery furnace. And, and we read it. We read the narrative, and we're like, oh, man, they went into the furnace. Oh, it was so awesome. Yeah, right? They suffered. Job suffered one trial after another. Nehemiah suffered because of Samballot. Peter suffered because of the crowd when he was tested. Paul suffered because of the false apostles. You know, Paul suffered greatly. Everyone said, you know what, he's not an apostle. Look at the way he speaks. He can't even, he can't even talk right. He talks like Pastor James, you know, stutters and all this. Suffer, suffer. The devil is the instigator of our suffering. And his, whole, his, his sole desire is for us to fail. The trial that you're going through, the the devil wants for you to to curse God. He wants for you to abandon what God has for you. Some of you are facing some major trials. Some of you are facing some major illnesses, some major ailments. Some of you guys have got some family dynamics that are just crazy huge, and you're suffering through them. But what Jesus spoke to the church in Smyrna is the same thing that he speaks to all of us today. Be faithful. Unto death. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death. No matter what you're facing, there's nothing, there's no enemy that we have that's greater than death. He says, be faithful even if they kill you. Be faithful even if they behead you. Be faithful when people talk about you. And I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful. Be full of faith. Not faithless, where your faith is stolen from you, but be filled with faith. Be filled with faith. You, you've, you have to settle that your suffering is not in vain. 
You have to settle that your suffering is not in vain. There's a bigger picture. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater prize. There's a greater level. And with every level of suffering, when you get raised up to another level, with every level, I think of Joyce Meyer that put it like this, with different level, different devil. You're always going to be checked. You're always go, there's going to be an opposition to what God wants to do in your life, no matter what you face. But God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And he's bigger than the devil. Because he created him. And he gave the devil a choice. He gave Lucifer a choice. You can be this great angel that I created, or you can try to have my creation worship you. And don't people do that today? Don't people love it when, when people follow them? Don't people love it when they worship them? Oh, we might not say it. We might not say it, but don't we love it when people are just, oh, you're so great, you're so great. You know, that's some, that's the greatest uh, uh, potential for disaster for me when people say, oh, you're so great, Pastor. You're so great. 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 That's a setup. Because there's really nothing great about me except Jesus. There's nothing wonderful about me except Jesus. And so God commended them. Here's number three. For their, their steadfast devotion, despite those who slandered their name. And nobody, nobody likes to be talked about. And the church in Smyrna were the subject of ridicule from the, from the religious Jews who called themselves children of God, but their actions were the actions of the devil. And that's how you know when, when you begin to, to, to slander, Satan's name means slanderer. The great slanderer, the one who, who, who slanders God, the one who slanders God's people. And Jesus said, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and they're not, but there is a synagogue of Satan. But the church of Smyrna was devoted to the purposes of God and their love for God no matter what others said about them. And anyone that wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Anyone that wants to follow Jesus will be talked about. They'll say things about you that are not true. And it's not them, it's the enemy. It's a spirit that's working in them to try to smear your name. But the church in Smyrna, they stood steadfast in the purposes of God. They said, Lord, we're going to bring glory to you. And this is what we need to know, beloved, as we walk with Jesus, that as long as we stay true to his purposes, to his love, and to his grace, it doesn't matter what people say. What matters at the end of the day is what does God say about us? And he says, I see that they're slandering you, that they're talking about you. Jesus said, said, uh, uh, he said this, people are going to talk about you. I love the way the message put it. In, in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, right after he finishes, he says this, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or they throw you out or they speak lies about you to discredit me. 
What it means is, is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. And you can be glad when, it, when that happens. Give a cheer even. How many of you go, woohoo, they just said a bad thing about me, yay. What, why are you so happy? Oh, the people are talking about me. Two bits, four bits, whatever, a dollar. All for the slanderers, stand up and holler. He said, cheer even, for, for, for though they don't like it, look at what he said, for though they don't, uh, they don't like it, I do. Jesus says, though they don't like you, I do like you. Though they talk about you, I talk about you in a different way. Have you seen my servant Job, devil? Have you seen my servant Ruth, devil? Have you seen my servant John, Clevenstein, devil? Have you seen my servant, Benny, devil? Have you seen them? I see them. I see how they walk. I see how they live. He goes on and says, and all heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gone into this kind of trouble. So has anyone talked about you? You know, I've gone text messages. I've gone text messages and people have said things that I'm like, whoa. And these same people that have said this because they struggle with some kind of addiction. And in that state where, where, where it's not them, it's the enemy. And they've said some things and really, and you're just like, whoa. And those same people... You keep persevering, you keep loving, you keep loving them, you keep loving them, you keep praying for them. Then they come in one day into the parking lot and they say, you know what, sorry for everything I've said. Have people that have left and said some really nasty things. I've sat with them in the office later on, they say, I'm sorry, I talked about you so bad, it's okay. It's okay, so I forgive you if anyone's talked about me, it's okay. The reality is the enemy is the enemy that will always, always lead us to slander people. God will never, ever, 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 ever lead us to slander someone else's name. Never. And can I tell you, families, families are broken up because of talk. Communities are broken. Divided because of talk. Churches are broken and divided because of talk. God hates it when people talk. And there's a healthy way to vent. There's a healthy way to vent. And there's an unhealthy way. A healthy way to vent is, you know, you say to, to that person that you trust, you say, you know what, I know that, this, I know that, let me use myself as an example. I know that Pastor James would, would I, I know that, that he would never say or, or do anything to hurt me, but I'm feeling this way right now. Will you join with me in prayer? I don't know what, I'm in, I'm in a funk. I don't know what's going on. I want to pray for this situation. That's a healthy way to, to vent. An unhealthy way to vent is to say this, you know. You know that, that James, that, he's a jerk. Look at the way he acts. And he says he's on keto, but he's not. Have you, seen the, have you seen the way he dresses? I don't even think he puts underarm deodorant on. Have you been around him? Oh, and I'm being nice, okay? So, so there's a healthy way, okay? So last, last um, 
They were commended on this. I'm going I'm to try to do this real quick, the, my last point. Uh, they were commended for, for their wealth in what matters to God. He said, I know that you're poor, but really you're rich. Now, I want you to think about the context, okay? I, I could spend a whole sermon on this. The context right here is that there were these Jews in the church that had a lot of influence because they were able to blaspheme them to the point that they were going to throw them in prison, in jail. They had influence. They probably had financial influence as well. And, and, and what happens in churches is sometimes people talk, starts, people start talking, they're, they're, the, the devil comes and he, tr- he starts to work, and they'll say, you know what, uh, people, uh, we're not going to give to this, to, to, to this church, we're not gonna, we, don't, we don't like what's happening, and so the finances begin to, they begin to get squeezed because they join together, and maybe they were affluent, maybe they were wealthy, and so the finances of the church began to decline. And he says, I know that you think you're poor. I know you think you're poor. But you're really rich. And here's what God tells us. Because I have your back. And as long as you keep following Jesus and you keep submitting to his ways, God will always fund his work. Always, 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 he will, he will give you, he's a generous God, he will give you what you need for your family, he'll give you what you need for, for, to make a difference in your community, he'll give you what you need to make a difference, especially in the eternal church of the living God. God puts generosity in people. The devil takes it away from them. Hear me now. The devil takes it away from them. God gives it to them. He's a generous, generous God. And the most joyful people, the most joyful people, and this is the joy of the Lord, are the people that walk in the generosity of God. The most miserable people are the ones that live in the stinginess and the materialism of Satan. I'm done. Everyone say, woo! Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving your church. Thank you for being faithful to us in everything that we face. Today we learn that you've called us to remain faithful in our trials, even when we are persecuted for our devotion to you. We pray for you to fill us with the Holy Spirit and empower us to overcome the chatter that don't matter as well as every storm we face in life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and everyone said amen and amen and amen and amen. Let's stand up and worship our King. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.